0: I don't know if, if you know the uh, writer of that song but Big Daddy Weave uh is his name was his name um and it, many songs just touched the heart of a of a life that's been redeemed uh unto the Lord um, he went home to be with the Lord uh he uh yeah yeah he did just this past year I got covid and died and uh you know as, as uh, Ryan was singing that song and leading that song, I thought to myself, um, what a great gift that was to him. Um, our country is going into a place that it never has been before, to a deception it has never gone to. And those that die are the ones in Christ, are the ones that are gifted. They don't have to endure it. But if God has called us to be alive, what does that mean? It means that we learn how the art of losing ourself, because it is in the losing of ourself that is a great gain. Not holding on to our life, but losing it for his sake. Amen? Amen. Because there's going to be a day we're going to leave this world if he doesn't come before. And so, are you ready? Ready? you know you're ready when you're losing yourself for his name. Each day, you know you're ready. So Joe has Bibles. If there's someone here that um, does not have a Bible, um, raise your hand. We're going to go to Romans 6 again, and we're going to finish out that chapter. Ryan doubts that when I say that out loud. He said, you're, 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 you're famous for not quite getting to the end of a passage for some reason. Um, I'm sorry about that. I, I really do try to be led by the Spirit of God. And so, Romans 6. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. The snow is slowing down, so we won't have to worry about driving home it doesn't look like. But Romans 6. Um, the art of losing yourself, it's, it's, it is, let's just be honest with ourselves, salvation is easy because it has nothing to do with me and you, right? It's all what Jesus did for us on the cross, amen? Somebody say amen to that, amen. But discipleship will cost you your life. It'll cost you your life. Amen. The willingness to lay it down and not just, not just lay it down like, um, I think martyrdom is easy because somebody else grabs you and, and takes you somewhere that you didn't want to go. In fact, that was prophesied over Peter, right? There's going to be a day you're going to be taken to a place you don't want to go. Martyrdom um, is easy, but, but losing yourself is hard because it means it's a daily thing where you lay your life down and you say, it is no longer mine, it's yours, Lord. Lord. You can do what you want with it, how you want, every single day. And so, why, um, why can we do that? Because we have been baptized into Christ. Our life is, is, is in, the, in the water picture, right? We go under as Christ went into the grave, so we go under and die to ourselves. And then we, and then we lay down our life on a daily basis. And i me be honest with you, this is the hardest thing you're going to do as a believer. Because it goes against culture, it goes against everything, it even goes against in the war of yourself where you want to protect, you want to hold up, you want to, you know, if, if, if I'm not doing this, then my, value ha- my life has no value. God has the right to say what you do and what you don't do. As a believer, is that true? Yes, he does. He has the right to tell you what to do, where to go, how far to jump, and when. That, for, a, for an American Christian, that is so hard. That is so hard. But listen, you also know that not only dying yourself, but the old man has been ruined. No longer is the war equal. No longer is the war equal. I I would if we had a raise of hands of how many people have fallen to sin this week. (laughs) And, And in that moment of falling to sin, did you feel like a victim? Did you feel like, I, 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 can't, I can't stop this? I would say that there are some that have felt that way. But that's not true. Not according then. to the passage we read yet last week. The old man is ruined. He's, he's been made useless. And in Christ, you can overcome him. Yes, you can. And, and why? Why? And I think this is, this is so important uh, because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin and broke the power of sin over you. And I want to start with you again in, in verse 10. But before we do that, um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come as brothers and sisters in this place. We come submitted before your word because your word is more important than the person speaking it, more important than the person listening to it, more important than anything else in this world. It is your word, and it is always true. Never in, in Scripture, never in, in, in human history has your promises not come true. And if you say it, it is done. And so, Father, sometimes... We don't um, live that way. We don't live with the intentionality of really realizing that your word is true and it will come to pass and that you're the greatest prophet, the greatest king, and the greatest priest that we know. And so, Father, minister to our hearts um, and may we listen to you today. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So verse 10 says that says this, and I, I said last time to you, you ought to memorize this verse. It says, the death he died, he died once for all. He died to sin, excuse me. Yeah, the death he died, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This is such a, such a pivotal verse because it talks to us about the fact that um, when Peter tells us that in, in the third chapter, the 18th verse, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in Christ, made alive in the Spirit. You know, I find it interesting that people say to me so many times, yeah, I can believe grace for other people. But I can't believe it for myself, and um, uh, and so it, it's this attitude of um, of of that fact that as you look at your life, that you struggle with seeing grace in it. Um, we have to remember that grace is a gift. It is unmerited favor. Nothing I can do to receive it, it's unearnable. Nothing I can do to keep it, it's unworkable. I live out the grasp of grace when I realize that it's God who's put me in the place of grace and nothing else. And if you look at the verse, it says that, that he died once for how many? Oh. Does all mean some, a few, or all? All. Huh. It does. It means all. And so that means you. We've been painting this picture in front of you, and we're going to continue to paint it. Uh, Linnea uh, has agreed to, to paint uh, with us. And so as we continue this... Not only does that verse say that he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives for God. This is the the power of this verse, is the fact that Jesus Christ is the light. He is the light of life. You remember Genesis 1, it says that in the beginning, God created, right? God created the heavens and the earth. I just want to read that to you. Just to remind us, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light! Let there be light! And there was light. That's what connects us to John 1. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus Christ is the light. That's why um, she's going to paint light beams off of that cross, because Jesus Christ passed through that cross. He didn't stay dead, He rose again from the grave, and in him became the light of all life, the light of all life. So verse 10 becomes the pattern for the art of losing oneself. Since Jesus died for once for all, He's calling us to die once to all our sins. That means we stop playing with our sin. We stop holding on to it. We put it in the cast of surrender and bury it. This does not mean that you'll ever never sin again. But it does mean that as you have surrendered it to God honestly and give the rights to, for him to destroy it, he will. And you'll see that grow in your life. The second part of the pattern is that your life is now solely God's. Your job unto God, your future plans, your retirement, your everything, he gets to tell you what to do with it. It's no longer, you have lost your ability to make your own decisions. Now this does not bode well with Christians in America. We like to hold on to our own decisions and have that right as a believer That's where we diverge from America. Our life is his. Now, what gives him the right to do that? What gives him the right to do that is that he is the incarnate God. incarnate God means that um, Carnate means to make flesh. In means to cause something to be something. He possesses a glorified human body. He bears the nails marks today. And he completed that which disobedient humans left uncompleted. Jesus will remain fully God and fully man throughout all eternity. And he showed that as his presence of the incarnate God throughout Scripture. For he first showed himself to Mary... He second showed himself to disciples on the Emmaus road, which he kept them from um, recognizing him at first. He appeared to the disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He appeared to Thomas who doubted and he forgave. And, and forgave him and, uh, excuse me, that he doubted and showed him who he was. He came to Peter on the shore and he forgave him. Over 40 days, he showed himself to 500 people He appeared to Stephen to give him the strength to die. He appeared to Saul to give him the strength to go from knowledge to relationship. Paul, He he taught Paul for three years in a desert of Arabia. And guess what? He appears to us in the book of Revelation. You know why people are afraid to read Revelation? It's because the incarnate God is speaking to them specifically. He said this. He said, here I stand at the door in in Revelation 3.21, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He is still appearing today. This church actually experienced um, the appearing of the incarnate God through a Muslim who came in one day during a prayer meeting. And he said that Jesus had appeared to him. And as he was driving by these windows, he looked in them. And he said, I have to go in there with them. And he came in and he spent some time praying with us. He is appearing today. He is the incarnate God. And his presence is here today. Jesus overcame and passed through the cross to be the eternal, uh, eternally changed himself as incarnate God so that every one of us who passes through from death to life, we will do so and be positioned and changed forever. And so as Jesus himself shines out of the cross, so we do also. So we do also. Let's keep going. It's in here. Verse 11 says this. It says, um, so, so how do we change? Three ways. We change mind, heart, and will first is the mind. Look at verse 11. It says in the same way. What does he mean by that in the same way? Paul is calling us to return to what he just spoke to show us two things. First of all what we can know and second of all what our life can be certain of. Look at the, look at the verses. Verse 3 says or don't you know talking about belief. Verse 6 says for we know. For we know. Verse 8 says uh, that we believe, now that if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And verse 9 says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. What do you know? You're driven by what you know. Your life is driven from what you know. What do you know? According to Paul, we can know, been baptized with Christ. We can know that we rise again from the dead with Christ. We know these things. But he goes one step further. Not only what you know, but also be certain of this. Verse 2 says this. It says, We are those who have died to sin. It's a certainty. There's a certainty that we have died to sin. And then also that... um, In verse uh, 5, it says this, For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will what? Certainly be united. Certainly. And then verse 7 says, Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so there is this this knowledge, but also the certainty of life, that we can go on. Believing that what has happened in Christ has happened in us. And yes, it's a growing thing. And yes, there is still a war going on. But we can know this. Our mind, our mind can know this. Um, one of the things that I have dealt with with people the most is the fact of what they think so drives their life. Listen. When you're struggling with what's in your mind, I want you to know something. You're focusing on the physical world. You're focusing on the physical world. I had this conversation with somebody this week. I said, every, listen to me, and I want you to test yourself on this. Every argument that you have against the Spirit of God and against the change in your own heart comes from what you see, what your, what your mind thinks of in this world. And I said to this person, I said, let's stop talking about all the physical things that have happened to you. Let's talk about the God who is the unseen, because that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, we're not focusing on what's seen, we're focusing on what's unseen, because the seen is going to be gone, but the unseen remains for all eternity. So any of your arguments, I, I dare to challenge you, of your thinking comes from what you see in the physical, and it's time to get out of that and go into the, go into the, um, um, into the spiritual. So when we are having a hard time believing God for our salvation, we are speaking out of, as as people of God, we are speaking out of disobedient rejection instead of unbelief. Hosea, speaking on God's behalf to the rebellious people of Israel in the fourth chapter, the sixth verse, said this, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Listen to this. From lack of knowledge. Why? Because they didn't know? No. Because they have rejected knowledge. When you keep your mind in the in the physical, and you aren't willing to say, "What do I know about God?" and you are you are rejecting His Word, which is of spiritual reality in your life. Now we'll change the physical if you follow Him, but not totally. But you must keep that in mind as you uh, uh, as you. As you wrestle with God, you know, there is a great danger in believing something and not obeying it. We must surrender our minds to the Lord and submit to his knowledge instead of letting our foolishness or our worldly wisdom lead the way. We must believe and trust that we're not just remade sinners, but new creations. And even though we struggle with sin today, we are not under its tyranny. So that's the first thing. In the same way, verse 11 says. Verse 11 goes on and says this. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count, or in some translations consider, are words to describe who wholeheartedly places themselves somewhere. It is said about Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53 12, because he poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. It's another word for consider or place. It's putting yourself in your heart, wholeheartedly, somewhere you don't belong to be. Believers are numbered um, as believers because of Christ among the righteous, because of Christ. Just like Jesus didn't deserve to be numbered among transgressors, so we do not deserve to be numbered as righteous. But because Jesus was willing to be numbered with transgressors, we can consider ourselves numbered with the righteous. Does that make sense to you? It's transformative, it's something that we need to know in our hearts. the, the Bible said, he made us to be righteous. He made us to be righteous. Now, when we hear this statement, um, we know it, we might know it in our head, but we're struggling to receive it in our heart for four reasons. First, because we don't know the gospel truth. And uh, in, in America, which is interesting, we're probably uh, one of the leading illiterate countries with the word of God that we have ever been in our history. Um, So that's the first thing. Second is that Satan is working hard to keep hopelessness in your heart. Even though you may know the gospel truth, he wants to keep you buried under what you see instead of what he has told you. Third, we continue to try to observe a spiritual reality in the physical world. The fullness of our resurrection will not happen until we see Jesus face to face. But we keep using the physical to determine what's in the spiritual. And we've got to stop that. And fourth, the battle of sin puts a constant contradiction to the truth. That when you fall to sin, that it must not be true about me. And that is a lie. Until our hearts receive the truth and our minds see, that our minds see we'll never bend our will to God's will. We pray, let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. Do you know that why God's will is done in heaven? Because because the angels absolutely are wholeheartedly in for God's work. They're all in. And that's what He's calling from us. He's calling us to be all in. And so that is where we go next. And that is where 12 through 14 talks about. Listen to the verses. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as a as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. I want you to notice that three times he says in these verses, uh, verses offer. Um, it ha- offer has the, has the sense of directing your will in a certain direction. Now this word should Offend us. It should make us angry because Satan has worked real hard to teach us that we are under the tyranny of sin and that somehow we're victims. So when we sin, we're kind of victimized by that sin to do what we're doing. And God is saying, in Jesus Christ, you've been set free from the tyranny of sin and you absolutely have the strength and the power and the ability to choose what's right, to do my will, to follow me. Do we believe that? So the power of verse 14 is that, is that the purpose of the law, holy law was to bring you to the end of yourself, to see the futileness of your own ability to save yourself, the power of grace is to reveal that what Christ did on the cross was so powerful that you are set free to live in righteousness. So the, the art of losing yourself is not just in what you know and what you're certain of. It's also in the fact that you train your mind, your heart, and your will to follow what you know and what you're certain of. It is a response to that. It is a response to that. Now, Paul knew that his legalized or his legal uh, opponents would come again, right? We remember at the first part of this chapter they came and they said, well, if it's, if it's because of grace and sin makes grace shine more, then we might as well sin more to show grace being more, right? That was the first argument. The second one is in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? If grace, so basically what this is saying, if grace and not the law, then we are free to live a lawless life. And you know as well as I do, not only was that a belief back then, but it's a belief today. I, I have to, I always have to kind of laugh because, I, I don't know if you find this, but what I find is that many Christians use grace as a way to say, well, you know, I'm set free so I can basically do what I want. Make my own decisions, live my own life. Um, One of the things that I've observed, uh, trying not to be too judgmental, but um, is um, um, is the drinking of alcohol and how it seems to be lifted up in the Christian community in a way that is just crazy. I mean, I never tell anybody what kind of root beer I'm drinking. I drink root beer, so what? but it's so funny that people will like take time to brag about the kind of alcohol they drink, as though that's kind of i i don't I don't totally get it, maybe it's because I'm not in that uh, genre, but I think in some instances it's a picture of the fact that that um, people have almost gotten to the fact of saying about grace well i You know, I'm set free so I can do what I want. And so, hey, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm free to party. What about the freedom to discipline your life? What about the freedom to do the hard thing for God? You know that he wants you to do. You know there's something he's been calling your life to do. And you've been refusing. How about the freedom to do that? That hard thing. Paul said, Paul said that, um, that he disciplined his body, that he beat it with many blows and made it his slave. Why? So that at the end, he would not lose out on what he'd been preaching to others. Part of the art of losing yourself is a life that is disciplined before the Lord. Yes, 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 all things are permissible. But not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. That's true freedom. It's the freedom that comes by being a slave to righteousness. Righteousness. There's always an argument that I have with people. They talk about free will. And I say, I say do you have, do, does, does every human being have free will? Yes, they do. Does every human being exercise free will? Absolutely not. Especially when you, really, when you really understand the word of God and the fact that you were born a slave to sin, how much free will can you demonstrate outside of Christ? I think that a life in Jesus Christ is the greatest place where a human being can live not only free, but demonstrate their free will. Because now you truly have a choice. You truly have a decision to make away from sin and into God's will for your life. And so... And so, he, so Paul, he goes into that argument about um, slavery to righteousness. And in verse 16, he lays down the principle that Jesus taught in Matthew 24. Listen to it. He says, Don't you know, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 24? He says this, No one can serve two masters. E- Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So wake up! Don't let that go by. Money is a great slave driver that is holding on to a lot of us Americans. We've got to wake up. The principle is this, that once you've heard the truth of God's amazing grace, you now have the option to offer yourself to the master you truly desire to follow. And obedience opens the door, the vision you, to who you really are following. Who are you obeying? Who are you obeying? The first is slave to sin. 2 Peter 2 says this about Sin. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. There's always been an argument that, in my heart, that real truth is something I can stand on and it will give me life. So when somebody stands up for abortion, if the very thing that they stand up for happened to them, they would not be able to stand because they'd be dead. It proves that it's false. It proves that it's wrong. I can stand on truth, and truth will give me life. But the depravity of being a slave to the sin is that it so depraves the heart that you stand for things that are foolish, that do not hold your very life up. What do you stand for? I find out that one of the greatest... um, um, resistance to receiving Christ is what people believe that they have to give up in order to follow Jesus. I've actually had people say that to me. I'd follow him, but you know, I'm young, I want to, um, I want to, I kind of want to live, maybe when I get older, then I'll do that. Thank you. But I think the greatest and most appalling examples of slavery to sin Is the falseness of what we're in the falseness of what we're given up is found in the life of of abused woman. Do you know that they say that forty-eight percent live in abusive relationships, and they return to it again and again. You know why that is, why that pattern is in their life. It's because first of all they come to believe that they're the problem. Second, that. Uh, that they need the abuser, Uh, the addiction tendencies in their life, I have to stay in this relationship. The third is that they can change them. And the fourth, they're scared about the future, so they stay. It is the depravity of slavery to sin that you keep returning to the abuser and you stay in it because you're afraid that you're going to miss something. Well, Paul is saying, um, it leads to death. It leads to death. And so I think this is one of the most, yeah. So, and then the second is, that I talked about obedience that leads to righteousness. Um, You know, Paul cannot mean that the work of obedience leads us to righteousness. That somehow it's a works thing because that would oppose everything that he's been teaching up to this point. But the explanation is found in verse 17 and 18. Listen to it. It says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The first indicator that tells us that he's not teaching us something false is he says this, Thanks be to God. Paul knows from life experience what Jesus taught in John 6, through 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. The Apostle Paul could put you and I under uh, under, the, under the table with, with doctrine and theology. But he didn't know Jesus until, until the Father drew him to Jesus on the Damascus Road. We have come to obey the pattern of teaching we receive from God himself through his Holy Spirit, and we know this is true when we desire to obey him from our heart. And we acknowledge our, our allegiance to him. It says also in these verses that we have, in verse 18, that we've been set free from sin, a slave of righteousness. These two phrases seem like an oxymoron, and yet in verse 19 through 22, Paul reveals the freedom and the slavery to righteousness fits perfectly together. Verse 19 says this, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. This is where Paul is, is calling us and his listeners to reflect on their life. It's a really great time for you to kind of look at your own life and to say, okay, okay, um, Think about the times you've been given uh, yourself to sin and the times that you have been given, uh, given yourself to the righteousness of God. Think about how they affected your life. You all got examples? Times that you have given yourself to sin? Times that you have given yourself to God? What's the difference? What's the difference between the two? Go ahead. Misery and peace. Yeah, Jay? Yes. Healing power that only God can do. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. 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 Shame and acceptance. So true. When you talk about death, what do you mean by death? Because you're not dead. I mean, you're here. What do you mean by death? Okay. Okay. And when you've given in to sin, what has happened that, that reveals to you that there is death in it? What have you seen? Brokenness. Brokenness in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Brokenness in jobs. When you haven't done something you know you should have done and it was sin for you, maybe somebody in this room's lost a job because of that. Yeah, brokenness, separation. Yeah, you guys get it. And so, this everyday life example, and that's exactly what he says that in verse 19, he's really talking about death or life. Offer slaves to impurity and ever increasing wickedness, he says. He's talking about not only the motive of your heart, which is impurity, um, which then your thoughts take you captive, but he's also talking about action, the increasing wickedness that comes from an impure heart. I think I I find it interesting that he says increasing because sin never stays stagnant, never does. It must grow that it can continue to feed off the life of the host. Proverbs 14, 16 says this, For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep until they make someone stumble. And that can be themselves. Have you ever lost sleep because of wanting to do something evil? It's true. Sin robs life from the host, even in robbing them of sleep. But here's where slave to righteousness that leads to holiness. Holiness is, is to be set apart, but it's set apart for what? It's set apart for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In these things he's what? Prepared in advance for you. Guess what? Even as a believer, you're not smart enough to come up with your own works. But you're also, again, it's your knowledge and it's your certainty. There are some people, even in this room, that feel that their life has been ruined beyond usage. Yes, you do. I know. But it's not. Turn to him today. Turn to him today and watch how he will begin to move you into the purposes that he has. Not only setting you apart in holiness, but setting setting you apart for a purpose. Setting you apart for a purpose. This week, I want to keep this under wraps, but this week somebody was challenged with a new purpose in their life. To take a leadership position. And they accepted that. They accepted it. They had no idea that was coming. They had no idea But God said, I have a plan for you. I have a good work for you to do. And they accepted it. You have no idea what God has in in your future. So stop trying to organize it. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to push yourself into it. Let God bring you. Your job is is just mind heart and will to come before God and just to receive what he has for you. The second example, so not just death and life is the first example, but the second one is the benefits that you receive. And I heard it out there. Freedom from righteousness equals slavery to sin. There's no middle ground. We don't have good people that don't know Jesus Christ. We have lost people that don't know Jesus Christ. And they're under slavery to sin. So slavery to sin's benefits is shame. You can personally testify to the truth of this statement uh, that every act of sin brought shame into your life. Amen? Amen. But it also, death. And then we talked about that death of relationship. But Paul takes us from slave to righteousness to slave to God, which I think is very important. In fact, Linnea and I talked about this before, and, uh, and she, was, um, she was talking about how to spell righteousness, and I said, you know what, why don't you just spell God? Hey, yeah. <laughs> and so, we, hey, hey, I have spelling issues too, so I'm on the same level. I'm on the same level as you. And so... Um, he takes us from slave to righteousness, the slave of God. Um, this may seem obvious, but it's important. You see, in God's economy, like I said, there's only two realities, slavery to sin or slavery to him. The first we are born into, the second we are reborn into. God's purpose of redemption for mankind is not so that they can do what they please, but they can do as he pleases. In Deuteronomy 15, 16, it says these words. And it, it, it's this picture of, you, of bond servant. And it says this, but if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awe, push it through his earlobe. So you women with, um, with earrings, you weren't the originator of this and it didn't originate with men or women maybe. Push it through the earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. The Bible teaches us that true freedom comes from knowing the truth and the truth setting us free. To know that slavery to righteousness and God is the only place in the universe that freedom truly exists. And the greatest benefit of righteousness is that freedom. It leads you to a holiness of being set apart and a purpose and an external existence with the Master so that you so love who so loved you that he gave his life for you. Does this make any sense to anybody? It is it is such a He's taken, so what he's done is he's taken it from justification and what God has done. He's moved us into sanctification and the fact that we have to align our minds, our hearts, and our wills with his will, with his heart, and his mind. And that we come to a place of saying, my life is not my own. Slavery to righteousness is a self, is self-yielding to the Lord. It is saying, you've given me righteousness, Imputed on me, now I'm going to live out that righteousness in my daily life because I am certain what you've taught me, and I know it for sure. And I'm going to live it. I'm going to live it. And so what he does then is he wraps up this whole thing as he summarizes in verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord it 's a summary of the whole thing, John ten says this in the seventh through the ninth verse, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, the way to heaven, the door open for heaven. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. How do I know that i 'm a sheep of God? I know that as I look at this picture, that I have my identity is in him because i 've been baptized with him, I am willingly. Laying down my life to him because of my identity in him. The old man is ruined, no longer has control over my life. And Jesus Christ is the only life. He is the only life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. When Hitler started coming to to power... Most of the pastors in Germany sided with Hitler. I don't know if you know that. They thought he was doing a good thing. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer struggled with it. And he realized by the, by the Holy Spirit that he wasn't. And so, so he began to speak against the Nazi regime. He started to preach God's gospel again. And it got him... Um, arrested, and put in jail. And just before the, um, uh, the allies overcame Germany, I, I want to say within a day, he was hung. He was hung. But you know what being in prison for the gospel taught him? Taught him about cheap grace. He wrote a book. The cost of discipleship. And he he addressed cheap grace. He said cheap grace is a grace that is accepted without the cross of Jesus Christ, without the blood of Jesus Christ, and without the resurrected Jesus Christ. Cheap grace says, I get into heaven, but my life is my own. I can do whatever I want with it. And in prison knowing he was probably going to be killed, he opened a picture up to all of us that this life in Christ is about yielding our minds, yielding our hearts, and yielding our wills to him. It's about the fact of willingness to be be identified as slaves of righteousness, slaves to God. My life is no longer my own. It's his to do whatever he wants with it. We need Christians that are willing to live that out that way in this world today. I'm reading a book called um, Fan the Flame, and it's by Jim Cimbala from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he asked these questions, and I thought it was a great way to end this. He said this. He said, "Um, Jesus Christ has come. He's given his life for us. He has saved our hearts. God did this because God wants us with him for all eternity. In fact, Jesus told us in John 14 that that he is making a place for us and that he's going to come back and take us back to where he wants us to be. Jim Simula says this, so why has he left us here? Why aren't we back right now? why has he left us here to struggle with with temptations and with sin and with hardships and with physical issues right some of us have some physical why has he done that we got work to do that's why he's done it he is not left here for your comfort. He hasn't left you here for, uh, so that you can have anything that you want, so that you can live the life that you want. He left you here because he has work for you and me to do. And he has predetermined it before we were born. Now, the question is this. In regards to sanctification, are you... Are you identified, everybody here, are you identified with Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Identified to his death? Are, is that you? Is that you? Have, have you yielded your mind to his knowledge? Have you yielded your heart? Are you all in? And have you, Is your life in a place that when he wants you to do something, it doesn't matter what it is, you're doing it because you're living for him and not yourself. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. You, you, amen? There's no life. You've experienced that. Before you were saved, you experienced what life was before Jesus. And it brought shame and it brought death. Amen? So in him is life. There's hope. There's peace. There's joy. And he wants you to share it with the world. I don't get why the seats keep keep getting emptier. If you believe this, why are the seats getting emptier? Why aren't they getting fuller? Not just here, but across America. If you really believe this, why aren't the seats getting more full? He is, but greater is he that lives within me than he that lives in the world. And it's time for us to stand up in that. You know people that aren't saved. Yes, you do. And you know, somebody said the other day, you know, I don't know what I can say at my job. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was concerned about that at first. And guess what? When he shared the gospel, he got in prison. Was his life wasted? No, it was not. When did what you possess on this earth become more important than what you possess in your heart? When does what this earth has to offer move you more than the fact that you have the privilege and honor to offer your life to Jesus Christ? And when is that going to make a difference in my life and yours? It's the, the front end of sanctification. I don't know about you, but it's time. I can name people. Tyler, young lady, so needs Jesus Christ. Daniel, young man from Sudan, so needs Jesus Christ. Lauren, a young woman who works at, at, um, uh, at Millbrook Tack, So needs Jesus Christ. People of God, it's the word of God. Everything he says is true. Will you submit your mind, your heart, and your will to it and stand up and tell somebody this week and live it out where you're at, even at the at the possibility of losing your job? Will you stand up for Jesus Christ with your neighbors even at the detriment of losing your reputation with them because now they know you're a Christian and somebody to be hated? Will God find you doing his good works because you're all in? It's the art of losing yourself But there's a freedom there, people. There's a freedom there that is awesome. May your heart be moved as full as mine. Amen. Stand with me as we pray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, I thank you uh, for a precious time with you. I thank you, Lord, for this family that you have uh, put together, Father, um, a ragtag group of people that, uh, that you drew from so many different places for the purpose of bringing them in this community so that we could share the gospel with those around us. I pray uh, for the family where children have walked away from the Lord. I pray for families where fathers and mothers have walked away from the Lord. I pray for families um, who are living next to people, who it's obvious that their life is not honoring you, but that they are uh, living uh, for themselves and living for this world. Lord, I, I, I pray for... Uh, this community. And I pray that, Father, that we um, will take seriously um, Romans 6. That, Father, um, we won't be the antagonizers that keep, that keep pushing back at you and keep pushing against you, but that, Father, um, truly our hearts are expanding before you and that we're seeing you more clearly, realizing this is not based on us, And not based on even what we do, but it's based on you. And off of that knowledge, off of that, being convinced of that, that, Father, our lives are moved and changed by your Spirit. Father, I pray that, that, Lord, we will um, honestly look at our lives and say, am I truly, through the sanctification of your Spirit, doing what you're asking me to do. Because there's a reason we're alive today. There's a purpose for our life today. You fulfilled your, your, your work for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you took him home. You fulfilled your work through Big Daddy Weave, and you graciously took him home. But everyone that's sound of my voice is breathing because you said, Let there be life, is got a heartbeat because you said, I want you to be alive right now, and you've got a purpose. Yes, I'm bringing family members into your house. Share your love of me with them. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you shopping uh, this week, and you're going to bump into people at the stores. Share the love that you have for me and how I have given my life for you. Lord, in all instances, I pray that you will give boldness to nurses as they stand alongside of people who are hurting, and that, Lord, you'll truly keep just letting them share your love with them. I pray that you'll be with engineers that are that are amongst very intelligent people, but they're driven by foolishness and not the wisdom of God. And I pray that, Lord, you'll bless them. I pray that, Lord, you'll be for people who are in the factory uh, factory workers, that, Lord, you'll move in their lives as they work next to people that so desperately need to know you. I pray that you'll be with those mothers who are home that you'll bless them and that, Lord, they'll share with their children and they'll share with other mothers that they meet at schools and stuff, that, Father, you put them in the venues. I pray that, Lord, that you'll be with those people who work online, that, Father, they see even out of their own home, they've got a platform that they can work from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you're not an option. You're not one of many religions. There is only one. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through you. Lord, may that be foundational to us, that we may share the good news with all that we need. Lord, I pray for a, a name that you've just put in my mind of a, a woman who is a waitress at New Beginnings so desperately needs you. So desperately needs you. There was a shooting in her backyard years ago and just totally tossed her family in a tizzy. And I don't think they've re- they have recovered. God, God, work, work, build your family and let the gospel go through us so that, Father, your family will grow in grace and knowledge and that your word will go out in this neighborhood. It's time for Satan to not have priority in this neighborhood, but for the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, to have priority.